Rounds for Research. Make a donation. Go to roundsforresearch.com. Send it in. Carolinas is trying to get to 100000 this year. We need your help. Good luck to all the other chapters out there. And it doesn't matter where you listen to. You can make a donation and support any chapter around in Turfgrass Research. Welcome to Pulling Weeds, a podcast of the Carolinas GCSA. We'd like to remind you that the views and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of those of the people on the podcast and do not reflect the views of the Carolinas Golf Course Superintendents Association or any of its sponsors. Welcome back. Another episode of Pulling Weeds. We're here at the Southeastern Regional Conference hosted with the USGA. Today we're going to talk with a number of different guests about a standardized set of questions that we have. But with our first guest today, um, since we've got a little bit more history, I think we're just going to jump right into some of our own questions. But without further ado, how about a big hello, welcome to uh, Ronnie Krause. Ronnie, how are you this morning? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? Doing well. All right. Tell everybody, uh, who are you? Where are you from? What you, who are you with? <sighs> So uh, my name's Rodney Krause. I'm with uh, Advanced Turf Solutions. I grew up in the northwest corner of North Carolina. Uh, started at Roaring Gap on the golf course. Uh, I think it was around 2007. Uh, from there, uh, moved to the coast and was at um, Brunswick Community College chasing a, chasing a turf degree. Um, met my wife there and chased her to Michigan. That's how you got yeah. there. I was going to ask in a minute. <laughs> yeah. I was like, isn't that when we met? Yeah, I, I yeah I think so. Um, I was at Brunswick. I think we met there, and then I left. Okay. Uh, I was at Michigan. I was at Michigan State. Uh, I got a two year degree from Michigan State. Uh, we were there for a total of four years, and moved back to the Carolinas. So I moved back to uh, Boonville, Winston Salem area. Um, I worked there for uh, six seven months with Lynn Facet again, who I'd worked with at Roaring Gap. Uh, left there and went to work with Grayson Granger at um, down at St. James Plantation. Uh, left St. James, come back to Winston, uh, worked at Old Town with O'Neill Crouch. Um, was there for three years and went back to St. James. So I was there at St. James for another, uh, another year or two, and then I ended up at ATS with uh, Michael Hyman and Matt Carver. Mouthful. Yeah, it's a lot. Well, I'm glad you explained all that because I got confused <laughs> in some of that because I knew that when we first at least started having communications, mm-hmm. you were it was Michigan State, and yep. I think it was kind of right about the time we got our advent of social media, yep. really. Yeah, I was trying to get back. Um, so my wife had lived in, in pretty much a one-mile block of Lansing, Michigan for her whole life. Wow. And we, were, uh, we got married uh, right before I started. Uh, turf school at MSU. Uh, we had two kids in that span. Uh, we were, I won't ever forget it, we were riding up north for a anniversary trip, our first, second anniversary trip. Uh, and she looks at me, it's snowing, it's November. She's like, what do you think about moving back to North Carolina? I was like, you just say go, like I'm tired of, tired <laughs> of living in this snow. Uh, so I had, I think I pretty much had a job by the end of that day with Lynn and started communicating with you. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We come back, um, have had several moves since then, but we're pretty stable now. So how many kids you got now? Four. Uh, Ellis 12, Bubba, he's 10, Evie's seven, and the baby's four. 
Baby girl, boy. Baby girl. All so, three girls, one boy. Wow. And I tell everybody this: the boy's all boy. He'd as soon drop kick as to look at you. I mean, he's a he's a dude. You know. Yeah, I had two boys, and one of them, um, I always joked he was the eye gouger. Yeah. Like, he'd yep. just snuggle you, love on you, but if you weren't watching, he'd poke your eyes out. Yeah, now now the, the chaos of it all, I guess, is the baby is the, she's the ringleader. So she uh, she takes nothing, she takes nothing off of anybody. <laughs> uh, she she swings first and asks, quest, asks questions later. So uh, she has to fight for all she gets, so she, 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 she knows how to do it. I think she deserves one of yeah, yeah. That's she, for the little baby. Yeah, man, she's she's wide open. All right, let's get into some of the hard-hitting questions. Apparently there were some things that went on up here, so we have to ask this question of everyone. But how many deviled eggs can you make <laughs> from two whole eggs? Oh, four? Okay. So the, I guess the conversation is <laughs> half of an egg, once it's deviled, constitutes an entire egg? I would think so, yeah. I, th- I think you can make four because aren't they halved? They are. Yeah. Well, I mean, we don't need to overcomplicate it. It's yeah, just yeah. as simple as the question was. Yeah, it's it's just... got to be four, I think. You might have a little bit of extra you know, insides left over, but you can make like an egg salad sandwich out of that or something. I think you got four there. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I'm with you. All right, picking number one through ten. Now the one's, now's when the fun begins. Nine. You can't read them. All right, nine. So what we're doing here today, folks, is we've got a list of 10 questions, and we're going to let these folks randomly pick their numbers, and then we're going to ask them these questions. All right, number nine. Ooh, what's the wildest thing you ever found on a golf course? Ooh, um, it'd have to be at Roaring Gap. Uh, I come in one Saturday. So the way it was set up at Roaring Gap is we was one guy came in and set up. Uh, another guy came in and mowed greens, and I was a setup guy. Uh, I get to – you're pulling into Roaring Gap. You kind of pull through the middle of the golf course to get to the maintenance shop. Um, I get to 17, which overlooks the back side of the mountain. It's like their signature hole there. There's three horses standing on the green. The stable girls had apparently had too many beverages the night before and left the gate open. There's three Belgian horses standing on 17. Oh, so that's the wildest thing. So not small horses either. No, 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 large. And I wasn't. <laughs> yeah. I knew that I wasn't messing with them. Uh you know, horses are uh, smart on both ends and crafty in the middle, and I wasn't going to deal with it. <laughs> well said. <laughs> and uh, so I went and woke the girl up out of her drunken stupor and told her to go get her horses off the green. She didn't She didn't last at the end of the day there, I don't think. But, yeah, I think it, it's got to be that. that the, uh, wildest by so many definitions. Yeah, it was wild, uh, for sure. I thought I was seeing things myself, but I wasn't. So. <laughs> All right, so let's then let's talk about the repair on that. Pretty bad? It was pretty rough, yeah. Because yeah. it's not just uh, pulling up some no. divot tools to get those um No, it was prints out. It was a pretty major it was a pretty major undertaking. There was a it was a probably if I remember correctly, it was about a two day process. We were taking pieces of sod you know, pieces of sod out and lifting lifting soil back up and putting sod back down. Oh. And yeah, it was a it was a mess. Now, were you at Roaring Gap when they did any of the renovation? I was not. Um, I was there for one year with um, with Lynn, and then I was the first two years of Ginther. So, and How Ginther good of man, man is he? I, I credit a lot of what I'm what I'm doing to Ginther man. He he pulled me in uh, after I think it was his second year there, and he said, uh, you know, we're all seasonal. Uh, he said, you you know, you like what you're doing, and I said, man, I love it. And he said, well, good, you're you're not coming back. And I'm like, what man? This is my job. He's like, ah, you need to go to school. So he 
he pushed me to that. Uh, That's awesome. Often when I see him, man, I tell him I, I wouldn't be anywhere in this industry if it wasn't for Ginther or Lynn. Either one, man. Lynn's been Lynn's been great to me too. Ginther pushing me back to school. So he's a good one, man. Ah, uh, he's he's the best. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, because he went to Penn State, right? He's a Penn State guy. So we we could have played Cutter Cup matches together, but I don't. We weren't there at the same time. I don't think so. He's gotcha. a way better golfer than me anyway. So, all right, pick another number. Uh, let's go with that Dale Earnhardt three. Oh, oh, this is perfect. Your best <laughs> career advice. Um, man, in this industry, I often I often say about this industry, it, it's it can be a thankless profession. When things are good, you don't hear a whole lot. When it's bad, you hear it all. Yeah, well said. Um, I think you've got to. Uh, for me, I struggled with balance. Um, I think you have to find balance, and I know everybody's going to say this. Uh, but man, there were times when I was at Old Town, man, that I just, I, I put everything else on the back burner except the bent grass greens at Old Town. You know what I mean? And uh, my marriage certainly suffered for it. My home life suffered for it. And um, if it wasn't for for my wife, who's a godsend. Um, I would have never realized it, and she lovingly told me, you know, this is about enough of this, you know. So, and I'm not saying what I do is for everybody, but you've got to keep balance. Um, if you don't, you're going to burn yourself out. Yeah. And I was headed there. I mean, it, it was going down quick. Well, and I hate to say it, but <sighs> grass drives you guys. It does. You know, it's you know, your passion. And, it was, uh, and, and guys won't walk away knowing their products or their plants in, in jeopardy. I, you know, I lived forty five minutes from Old Town. When, oh, makes and, it and even harder. That's because I had a you know I had a bunch of family in the area, so I kind of wanted to be closer to them. And um, but I would drive home some afternoons at five o'clock and sit down and play with the babies for a minute and think to myself, you know, man, them bent grass greens may be burning up and go back. Mm-hmm. Like I just I couldn't separate it, and yeah. and that I think that's the main thing I would tell people: learn how to separate it. Sure, there comes a point in time where you're not going to do any more good that day. Correct. Go, go home, you know. Without question. I've said that a number of times to people through our own trials and tribulations that right. get us here today. We don't know why we're still here, but, um, you know, if if you don't take care of yourself, nobody else is going to, right? Well, if you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to produce a good product elsewhere. That's, you know, Dr. Rogers at Michigan State always said, junk in, junk out. You put junk in, if you continually to – force feed yourself bad stuff and you continue to have bad habits, you're gonna get junk out. And that always that always stuck with me. He's a smart, smart man. So Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Well and unfortunately a lot of people whether it's a, a loving interaction, yeah. um yeah. a jokingly loving interaction. Right. Um but I think part of that balance is finding that team around you. It that is. personal network that it's not only for your benefit for but for theirs, it is. They tell it you is. how to love. Yeah, it's it not did. easy. No, it, it wasn't. And, and the conversation I had with my wife was not easy. No, I mean, you know, it, those those conversations are tough. But so wait a minute, you're a grown man. Yeah, you solve all the problems. Right, you're a problem solver. Right, that's exactly but there's a problem right. at home, and you don't want to hear it. Right, you don't want to hear it. You don't. You and act you like don't you know don't know how to solve it. it. You act like you don't see it. You let it go for so long, and yeah. and and then the problem comes back to you. And Credit to her, man. She, you know, she could have packed up and walked off. Sure. I mean, that's, uh, you know, it happens she, to a number. Yeah, sure it does. And she and she didn't. You know, she was she sat me down. She was like, "This, you know, you've got to figure something out." Like this, and 
you, so, you come so home. This makes you happy now. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I love it. And it, it aside you know, this from is the a, this, jokes about the evenings right, and the weekends right. and the holidays and all well, that, but I the tell, lifestyle, right? I tell people like, if you're doing this job right, like it, it's it's no cakewalk. Like you, the way I deal with people and the way I feel about people is is I'm supporting whoever I'm working with. So. You know, if a guy calls me on a Saturday night and he's like, "Man, I got a problem," and this happened, you know, I got a problem. I need this tomorrow morning. How can you do it? Like, I'm I'm getting in the truck and going. Like, sure. And and the logistical side of this thing can be tough. Um, the nights on the road. I mean, you know, I'm probably on the road, you know, overnights, a month and a half, two months out of the year. Yeah. I, you know, you're not at home all the time like people people think that you are. You know, like I. I left. I left yesterday morning at five o'clock. Coming over here, yeah. I, I'll be home at eight o'clock tonight. Like yeah. you know, those are those are tough days. Just like two it? days at the golf course, you missed everything. Right, you sun missed, up and sundown. Right, the you missed baseball practices. Yeah. You miss baseball games sometimes. You don't want to, but but it's not you know. Oh, you're home every evening and you have every holiday off. Like it, I work on holidays too. I work on weekends too if people need me. You know, I'm not going to make it visits, but and the difference is there though. It's not a demand per se from, I guess it is an external demand on right. you, but it, it's more of a conscious choice. And I think sure. the family is way more accepting of the occasional, I got to right. go back. Than the everyday. Right. Or sitting there waiting, okay, he's been home 10 minutes. Yeah. What's he's, today's going to be getting ready to leave. Yeah. yeah, he's getting ready to yeah. leave again. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Pick another number. Uh, four. You read that one. Can you read these things up? No, I can't. Maybe you got it. You're holding it up there. I can't see. Well, it. I did that when you started reading. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. All right. What's the old? Well, this one's tough, but you you can apply it because you have been a superintendent. And your last job. Mm. Well, let's go with Old Town, so everybody yeah, can hear yeah, yeah, this. Yeah. This would be good. What's the oldest piece of equipment that was in the shop? Oh man, um, there was an old farm hall that O'Neill had fixed up, um, and I'm not sure how old that thing was, but it had. Pretty much zero brakes, and if anybody's ever been to Old Town, like it's uh, you need it, brakes. It's pretty undulated. You know, yeah. like, there's a lot of undulation there. But I can remember he had his son, uh, his oldest son was on it, uh, McKeever, and that thing was flying down the fairway. And I can't remember what year, what year he said it was, but man, he had restored it. It looked great. Um, but that was the oldest piece of equipment I think I've ever seen on a golf course. Now. I started now. This 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 is funny. I started on one of the old Toro uh, reel mowers that had the square had the square uh, steering wheel, and I can't remember what year it was at Roaring Gap, but I remember uh, an undulation there. It's, 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 a mountain, it's a mountain golf course. It is. Uh, Lynn Lynn looks at me, and so I'd been weed eating for a long time, and I finally told him, "Like, man, you you need to put me on something else. Like, just put me on something." Like let me let me get something besides the, the taste of this weed eater. He's like, I got something for you. He's like, you're gonna mow the driving range, T. He's like, you're gonna take the you're gonna take the Toro with the square steering wheel. I said okay. He said he sent my friend Byron with me to to teach me how to do it. Well, we get up there, we mow the we mow the tea, everything goes fine. He said you did good. Coming back down ten, which is pretty much straight downhill towards shop. As I top the hill, Byron looks at me and said, Oh, by the way. There aren't any brakes. You have to slam this thing in reverse to stop it. So I'm trying to stop this thing going down the hill, down the down the mountain. How loud was that? Oh, uh, it was it <laughs> it was sound it sounded awful. And Lynn's like watching all this, laughing. 
Because he knows. Oh, he knows what's coming. Yeah. So I'm trying to slam this thing in reverse to get it to stop. Finally, I, I think I did a couple of circles and ended up at the bottom of the hill, and he was like, well – you survived. He's like, I'm going to throw you on some other stuff. But he knew what he was doing. <laughs> that's right up there with filling the intern pond with the hose that's coming out of the intern uh, pond. Yeah. yeah. All right, we got time. Let's go one more. Um, go ahead. Six. Oh, yeah, this one. You could you could maybe get in on this one. This is one of those where when they told me to write it down, I was like, yeah, you're going to have to say it again because I'm not going to get this one. The oldest, what is the oldest chemistry of fungicide you've ever used? Mm. I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think. We didn't, we didn't use it. Uh, we didn't use it, but there was a building at a golf course. That's an older golf course that had some mercury still in it. Mercury. Yeah. And uh, like the stuff in thermometers, yeah, it had uh, it had some mercury still in it. Um, like how would that have been packaged? Not not well at the time <laughs> or safely, um, because when we got to it, it was not in a good way and it was very dangerous. But uh, it's kind of it's kind of scary because it was close to some really important environmental <laughs> environmental uh, areas. Yeah, I guess areas would be the way to say it. Um, that's the oldest that I've seen. Uh, I'm have you ever used that? No, I didn't. We didn't use it. All right, so let's just have a conversation because yeah. all I can see are those vats of it, you know, where they're trying to yeah. dump the anvil in, yeah, you yeah. know, and stuff like that. Now. Right. So I'm like, okay, let's go back 50, 60 years. Yeah. Like, we use a lot of plastics recyclables. Sure. So, like, it came in some other metal container that was non-mercury, I'm guessing? No, I don't think it was metal. What we come across wasn't metal. It wasn't safe. It wasn't safe to apply it. It wasn't safe to handle it. I'm That's sure. What I'm getting like, at like so. Then let's say you bought some. Yeah, yeah, a gallon of it just right. for a visual perspective. Right. So you've got your jug of mercury. Sure. How did they put it out? Because you can't dilute it, right? Not safely. <laughs> I mean, they couldn't have. I mean, you, I mean, people, I just well, don't understand. You like, think about think about what we do now, like and the PPE. That, that is yeah. used now. Yeah, oh yeah. That, that wasn't really common practice then. So no doubt. It couldn't have been safe. Uh, I'm just trying to figure out how you put it out somewhere. Like, so if it was used as a fungicide. Right. Like, I've only seen it, like, thermometer-sized. Like, I don't mm -hmm. know how to get that drop any smaller. But mm -hmm. now, if you had a chemical that size of a drop, you dilute it in water, right? Sure. And you spray it as a yeah. foliar. Yeah. Am I right word? Yeah. Application. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, so what do you have, like an eyedropper? You go out there every two inches and you're I dropping? I, I'm not trying to press yeah, you. I'm just trying to get you to think, like, yeah, like no, how I, the hell did you I, I don't, that out? Yeah, I have no idea. You saw a mushroom and you put an eyedropper on top of it or something? The last thing we need is mushrooms with mercury on it, I guess. But, uh, good point. Uh, yeah, my bad. <laughs> I just said fungicide. Sorry. So no, no. I'm I, showing I, you my agronomic ignorance. I don't know how they would have applied it. How they would have applied it. I'm going to have an asterisk next to this question. Yeah. we get an old guy in here? Ask him about it. I, like, I, mean, I remember like, we come across it. I won't say the course because it was probably sure, sure. not not supposed to be there. And the guy that found it didn't know that it was there and he was he 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 ran the place. So but he, he called me, he was like, Man, you gotta see this. And I'm like, What is this? And he was like, Oh, it's mercury. I'm like, so then you, you gotta dispose of it somehow. Yeah. I really don't even know what they'd be targeting with it. You know what I mean? I'm not sure what the target pest was or, or fungus was, but it, it was used. It was there. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I've heard that. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's yeah. a lot of things that were, yeah. gosh, I mean, 
yeah. a couple years into this business now, we've been trying to fix it for as long as we could, you know. Yeah. And, and you know what? I think I think we've done really good things. We've made great strides in, in being safer and environmentally. I mean, just you guys. I mean, just the Carolinas in general. Uh, we've done a we've done a lot of things that have moved us way far ahead from where we were, and I think you know you play this place, you play the Walker the Walker course here, and and you look out at Lake Hartwell. Like my last thing I want to do is mess anything like that up. That's that's beautiful and it's great. And there's so many places in the Carolinas like that. I, I just I love where we're going. You know, environmentally. Well, as a taxpayer, I'll take it a step further and tell you. We like Lake Hartwell like that, too. Yeah. But that's part of the lock system. Right. Okay. It starts at Cassie, jo- Lake Joe Cassie. Sure. Hartwell goes down. Oh, gosh, I'm going to forget one. But it ends up going out to Savannah River Basin. Right. So the flow of the Savannah River in yeah. in Savannah yeah. that you see for St. Patty's Day and all that is yeah. dictated by the lock system up here. Right. You know, when you learn all that, you're like, well, yeah, the impact of it's phenomenal. Oh, it's massive. But now it's... Well, hell, I'd I'd rather go sit next to a homeowner, right, and say, okay, what are you applying? What's your runoff program? Right. And you know, how are you following everything to be environmentally sensitive versus this golf course that's going to add, you know, at least another, right. if not one, two potential layers of, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, filtration, yeah, for water, yeah, you know, to clean it before it goes back in, yeah. It's funny, you know, I I live at the coast now. I live just outside of Oak Island. Um, and when I was at St. Wait, Jones, wait, wait. Not the Oak Island. The Oak Island, North Carolina. Okay. Southport. Okay. So not the one my kids are watching on no, the History Channel. That. Okay. Think, just making a, sure. That's Alaska or something. That's not. I think yeah. it's in the Northeast. Okay. Yeah, that's not. Like Nova Scotia area yeah, or something, something like that. Yeah, somewhere is way too cold. But. Okay. Um Part of my part of my deal at St. James was I don't know if they thought I was good for it, but they put me on every committee okay. that I could be on in there. I was like the head of the safety committee. They had me on this. Uh, you volunteered for the assistance committee. I and did, they saw yeah. that and they I said he that. wants to yeah, lead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I um, they had me on a pond committee. So they had they had high numbers of fecal coliform in their in their pond system in St. James. And so they get me in this committee, and they're asking me, well, you know, what kind of fertilizers are you applying that, that's going to cause this? And I'm like, well, you know, the only thing that would really cause that on our end would be a lot of phosphorus, and we just don't apply a lot of that. You know, unless you're establishing grass, you're not putting down a ton of phosphorus. And, you know, they keep they keep trying to find the source of these numbers, and finally I'm like, guys, we live at the coast. Like, everybody, every body of water here is connected. The water table's right under your feet, like, there's no telling where this stuff's coming from. Yeah. Like there's three there's three thousand five hundred homes in here and they're all applying fertilizers too. Like you can't you're not gonna find one one source of your problem. So let me ask you, Saint James, did, did you use you had to use reclaimed water? We did. Um actually the the um the water uh water treatment plant backs up to the players club there. Yeah. They pump us, they pump up, pumped us reclaimed water. Um, so we had, and that was another nightmare too. Because you had to dispose of so many gallons oh, per week man. or per month, right? Yeah, I mean, we had, and this may be not right to say, but we had heads like out in out in the woods that would just run. Yeah. Because you had to get rid of this water. Oh, yeah. Which, okay, uh, you're pumping reclaimed water back into 
into the system. I mean, it's reclaimed water. It's not, and it's going to be filtered again by the golf course somewhere. Right. Sprayed on the driving range when it's raining. That's right. So we used we used reclaimed water, and the nightmare of it was we were doing the right things, but the paperwork was. I, mean, I did that too. Uh, the paperwork was, you know, you sit down, you're filling out 17 papers worth of material to send in every month. Well, that's where I don't think people understand. So St. James Plantation is out on the eastern coast of North Carolina. Yeah, it's, just, it's got yeah. four golf courses mm-hmm. and a huge housing development. Right? Massive, yeah, it's a massive housing. So right. would you agree that the reason the golf courses are there is to recycle the water from the homes? I don't think that's the reason that I think they're there for entertainment, but I, I think well, sure, sure, no, don't but get me wrong. I, no, but, but I from think a building they, standpoint, they certainly use that from an infrastructure sure. construction standpoint. Yeah, there, you know, there was a lot of environmental issues um, that came up during the building phases of St. James. Um, the entire plantation, the, the not whole thing, just the golf because course, you, you're, you're dealing with wetlands. You're dealing. I mean, you're you're butted up to the intercoastal waterway, and that is oh yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of red tape. With that, and there should be, you know. Well, I mean, mean you're getting New York's be. water at some point, right? So, I mean, exactly. we got to have some kind right. of a paper trail going so, up there, right? Yeah, it, it was, uh, and and I'm, I certainly think that it was entertainment first, but I certainly think that a lot of erosion control, a lot of things that were going on there, were stabilized by golf courses, by the golf courses in there for sure. Well, no, the only reason I make that comment is because I sat in a hearing for surface water permitting mm-hmm. in South Carolina, twelve, thirteen years ago, yeah. and we had a legislator who stood up in front of the entire, you know, committee at the time, and he made a comment, I'm tired of hearing from my constituents who driving by these golf courses when it's raining and they got them sprinklers on. So I'm like, you know, new to the gig. I'm like, I just pull them off to the side afterwards, and I'm like, hey, man, how long you lived on Hilton Head? Oh, yeah, you know, we developed it and da-da-da. I said, so you should understand why those golf courses is there right. inside of Long Cove. Now? Right. Well, go back and look at the original development right. plans. Like, for you to sell those million-and-a-half-dollar lots, you had to have somewhere for all their waste to go. That's right. So let's build us a fancy golf course and sell memberships to go with those homes. Man, so, you know, 3,500 members in St. James. It, it was a big part of our our job was dealing with the membership. I mean, you know, you, you got 3,500 members. You, like I say, if you've got a group of 10 people, you're not going to make everybody happy. Correct. So there was always somebody that wasn't that happy, you know. Uh, some of my favorite lines from from St. James were, "Well, the golf course is flooding my yard." No, ma'am, the golf course didn't flood in your yard. You built your home on a swamp. <laughs> golf course didn't do this to you. Like yeah. the water table is right underneath your foundation. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the golf course. The golf course didn't do anything. It's actually here for stopping problems like that. So yeah, for collecting uh, all that runoff water. Yeah, we, we we dealt with that a lot. And nothing to get, man, I say that, the majority of the people at St. James were great to me, but it there was, you know, a handful, like there is everywhere. Sure. It's, it can be tough. You know? Just like you got now. You got a handful of customers you got to deal with. You know, we won't talk about <laughs> man, that. Man, I was thinking about that this morning. Like, I can honestly say there is no place that I stop that I dread stopping, man. I really enjoy interacting with people. And I think that's what that's what I love most about what I do. Like I and, and you know, there's days I was thinking about like the other day, I was on Durham Bulls baseball field, I was on Duke's football field, I was at UNC Finley's massive renovation yeah. they're doing. And I was at the Governor's Club that afternoon. All in one day. Like, who gets to do that? I and mean, call it work. I know, man. I, I mean, and all you did was talk all day and talk to talk to buddies. I mean, like I, I you know, 
each one of those guys, I think a whole lot about, you know, yeah. those, those are great guys. Yeah. I, I mean, you don't, you just don't get to do that anywhere else. I mean, you're standing there, you're standing there on a, on a movie set at one point, like you're watching a $20 million renovation at another point. Like it's, it's, it's a great gig, man. Yeah. It's just fun. People need people. They do. It they makes do, a lot man. of sense when you dumb it down to that. No, it, it really, really do. And it's, it's more than selling products to people, man. Sometimes you got to listen. Like, you're a problem solver for them, too, well, to a degree. Exactly. They need somebody that they can say, okay, right. man. Because usually by the time you get the phone call, they've already ran through their gamut. Right, yeah. They're not going to just call because they, they're bored. No, yeah. Everybody's going to try and figure it out first. Right. Or they care enough They care enough about you that if they've got a personal issue, man, I got guys that just call because they've had a bad day. Isn't that something, too? Let's do it, man. I get it. Like, I've had, I've had bad days. Everybody has bad days in this industry. But you got to know, I mean – not everybody opens themselves up like that. That's, so I think that's you know, what that's sets true. the qualified and the, and the successful right. ones apart. You're right. So. I, I think to do, I, and some other people that do what I do may not agree with this, but I feel like for myself to be successful, you have to be accessible to people. Mm-hmm. And that's my goal. Yeah. Like, well said. Yeah. Sales will come. People people will eventually say, you know, man, Rodney was there for me when I needed him. I'm going to kick him this. And I appreciate that. But, like, I think my goal is just to be there for people. That's awesome. I love it, and I, I really do. Well, let's leave it with that, everybody. Yeah. Be there for people. <laughs> Rodney Krause, everybody. Thanks for having me, man. ATS. Did I say that right? Yeah. Advanced, yeah. Advanced Turf, Turf Solutions. Solutions. Yeah. Yep. ATS. Man, thanks for being on today, bud. Hey, thanks for having me, brother. Yes, sir. Well, everyone, welcome back. Another mini-sode of Pulling Weeds. Today we've got special guest with us, Chris Vincent. How you doing today, Chris? Good, good, good day. Feels good. He's all excited for the music, me too. These guys have been picking some stellar choices lately, y'all. All right, Chris. Chris is with Precision Ag. Precision, Precision Labs. Precision Labs. Yeah, mm-hmm. can you tell where I've been lately? <laughs> the farm is on the brain right now. Um. So, Chris, before we get into anything, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself, where you live? Yeah, so, uh, you know, born and raised in North Alabama, uh, moved to uh, Myrtle Beach in the late 90s, um, went to Ori Georgetown, uh, actually graduated with Jim Huntoon, so we got a little bit of a research, so glad to see uh, uh, him in his position there, that's exciting to have yeah. uh, that going on. And then uh, stayed in the beach area from the late 90s, uh, graduated there, worked down there for about a year after that. And then uh, little birdie uh, told me that there were uh, some building going on in the upstate uh, and around Lake Kiwi. So uh, I met a gentleman by the name of Rich Maxfield at the time. He was the golf course superintendent for the construction in the reserve and uh, ran into him actually at GIS in um, – this would have been in Dallas, Texas oh, in wow. uh, 19, maybe 2000 uh, or 2001. So this was in Dallas, Texas. Ran into Rich there. Where uh, is your gray hair, dude? Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you, but I'm like having a comparison moment. And I'm like, dude, he's got to be coloring that. Oh, man. I-, I wish my hair would turn gray, especially on the sides. I'd man. love those wings. Dude, dude, that'd be awesome. Don't wish it on yourself. Uh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, so uh, he was telling me about a new golf course being built in the upstate and uh, asked me if I knew anybody that's interested. And uh, I said, I would love to come take a look. And when I did, I fell in love with the area, fell in love with the place. 
and uh, moved up here, started at the reserve in 2001 and left there last year. So 20 plus years. Wow. Uh, I was at the same place. So it was pretty good because from that, you know, it was a, I started there when I, maybe they had cleared like 13 holes. Okay. So um, it was a complete construction, rough grade installation, working with Nicholas and Wadsworth. And, you know, we did the build, we did the grow in, hung out there for 17 years. And then we decided to do a full renovation after that. So went through the full renovation and at that time had kind of came full circle for me. Um, And it was a good opportunity for me to step away. And uh, the same time that Precisions was looking for a uh, Southeast district manager and man fell right into this position and been excited ever since. Well, we're lucky because I think we've told some people, but we'll, we'll tell them again. This is the gentleman whose wife has been working with our association team for. Have we figured it out? Is it 10 yet or is it nine? It's, it's right there at it. Yep. So it's right there at it. 10 years. Yep. So a decade. We've spent more time with your wife than you. That's right. No, I'm yeah. just kidding. She does all of our graphic design. So any of the publications that you've seen, if you've attended our show, seen the programs, the brochures, any of those things, um, that's all the work of his uh, wonderful wife, Julie. Yeah, and you know what's the funny part of that is she uh, she knows everything that's going on in our industry. She's got her finger right on the pulse with you know the people and who's involved in what and what's going on. And, uh, you know, she reads the articles. <laughs> Not that we all don't sometimes. No, that's we flip great. through real quickly. But uh, she, she knows everything that's going on. She'll recognize people. So I'll kind of, uh, she'll know somebody when we see them out and about. So, oh, they're so-and-so, you know. It's like, oh, well, yeah, you're right. You know, you notice them. She's like, so it's funny. But uh, we have a lot to talk about. And uh, she's pretty good about uh, keeping up with Trent. And they work well together. She loves her job, loves the redesign of the magazine. Um, and you know, that thing, it doesn't go unnoticed. You know, we have people all the time outside of the Carolinas commenting on our magazine and we'll get feedback from Trent and stuff. And, you know, people say, Hey man, who does the magazine, this and that. So she really enjoys that. Good for her. She would never, uh, come online and say that or mention that. So I'm gonna call her out on that one. She, she does a good job with that and, uh, enjoys what she does too. So it's kind of good for somebody to, you know, she'll come home and hear me on one end of it, and then she's kind of working on the other end, so it's kind of neat. To, so she knows. She knows, yeah, yeah. She knows. She gets it. I think she's right up there with Trent and tooting her own horn. So if we could ever actually get her on a podcast to talk, you're right. It would be just very similar. I think know? that would be good. Two very yeah. humble people who do phenomenal work. Yeah, they would be a good tag team to kind of work together there, but it's kind of funny. No yeah, doubt. So, uh, and then came on with Precision uh, last year, and man, just hit the ground running, you know, and it was great to come in in a position where I think uh, Precision's in a kind of bit of an innovative part in their uh, business with some new products and a lot of great things coming online, a lot of research, just getting invested in the Southeast at NC State and Clemson and uh, Arkansas and A&M, so we got a lot of stuff going on around here, so really just a good time to be in the industry for um, with precision. And, you know, part of what they do is they got a really good model where they're, you know, part of their goal is to feed the world. Number one, you mentioned, uh, ag earlier being on the farm. So like most, um, turf companies, you know, a large precision, uh, percentage of what they do is in ag. Sure. So, um, and then we run the turf division there and there's a couple of guys that kind of, you know, have the country that for say they're representing precision. So it's a great way to help people. You know, part of what I'm doing now is, getting a chance to get out in front of people and kind of talk to them about products or total spray drop management or just understanding the ins and outs of what we do 
uh, every day, but really kind of making a point to say, hey, these are some things you should look out for when you're spraying or things you shouldn't overlook. And so it's been a really a breath of fresh air for me. So I uh, think people sometimes overlook the fact that our industry partners like yourself, sales teams, whatever you want to refer to them as, play as much a role in the continuing education of a golf course superintendent as attending a class. Yeah, couldn't if agree not more. Bigger. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And I think that, you know, we're fortunate that we have some great distributors in the area um, that are just such a strong area. You know, that, that you know, think about the Carolinas just in general. You know, anybody who sells or carries anything carries it in the Carolinas. And that's not the same the rest of the country. So we have some of the best golf, uh, some of the best support uh, in the whole country in the Carolinas, which is which shows with, you know, uh, the superintendent's education, some of the things we're, we're out doing. Uh, no doubt. And we appreciate our partnership with y'all, too. And with that, I will tell everybody a little preview, prelude, whatever you want to call it, as these are part of our Minnesota episodes that uh, we're speaking with guests at the Southeastern Conference. Precision is a, uh, a great partner of our conference, has been at our conference and show for years. Um, and so Chris and I are going to sit down and we're going to give y'all a full-blown episode here at some point in time. And we're going to get into all the the deets is that the right cool word man sorry <laughs> he and i got kids that can keep us up to speed That's on this stuff him. oh yeah. there you go there you go <laughs> two girls for him two boys for me and luckily they're uh, five or six years apart even though it looks like we're the same age um on paper but his hair is a lot less gray than mine y'all um a couple sidebars on him before we get into our questions though one chris is known um for having the best hair in the association Voted on by our staff in the office. I did not vote because um, at the time I might have voted for Bland Cooper because I just wanted to have longer hair than Bland at the time. Chris didn't know that. But um, anyhow, and apparently on one of our previous episodes, we had someone discussing some schooling challenges when they first moved to Myrtle Beach and staying in school at Ori Georgetown. Um you want to tell that story? No, I just think it was uh, a fantastic episode. I'd like to really brag on Max Jordan and his podcast. I think it was entertaining from beginning to end. Just listen to him and the stories that went on in that that podcast. And uh, in the, my, it was funny that when he started, you know, he said, well, I went to Ori Georgetown twice. Like I went once and wasn't quite ready for it. And I couldn't help but laugh out loud when I thought about that first time he attended because he was my roommate. Oh, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. wait. Let me see if I'm the fine right one. <laughs> so we did have a good time. You know, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, uh, you know, him being there and then mentioning, you know, to be ready to, to focus on school and not other extracurricular activities that sometimes you can do. Uh, so we had a good time uh, during that. And we lived together. And, you know, it's funny, I'd sent um, – Jim, a picture of all of us graduating, and there was some guys here that's still in the industry all from Ori Georgetown. So I love to see Jim and the the interest in Ori Georgetown and us guys kind of speaking in the industry a little bit. So it's neat, yeah. So earlier today, one of um, Jim's students was on, and he called him Mr. Huntoon. <laughs> it took me a minute. <laughs> you know, it was all I had not to say, so Jim's dad's teaching your <laughs> class? You know, he's Jim to us, right? Always has been. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, all right, so we're going to focus here for just a second so we can keep some consistency. So what we've done is we've got questions 1 through 11. All right. So you get to pick the random number, and then I read you the question. Okay. Okay, so we'll go through a couple of those, but there's the standard question that we've got to ask. And I'm going to ask it in a little different variety than I've asked it before, but if you ordered devil eggs at a restaurant, okay, and three – Deviled eggs appeared. 
how many whole eggs are on that plate? <laughs> oh, man. Well, if it's just three, you know, that's that's only one whole egg. So that would be a half of another one, though, because they're kind of cut in half. Yeah, so let's phrase it this way. How many deviled eggs can you make from two eggs? You should be able to make four. Okay, so I think this is lending to the argument that may or may not have gone on the other night <laughs> with a couple of directors <laughs> at a restaurant where someone may or may not have been served three and got a little heated because they expected four. Like, what'd you do with the other half of my egg? Anyhow. Interesting. Yeah, I guess they saved that for the next order, huh? Well, I think some of others of us with a little more time to ponder realize that they might not just make them per egg or per order. <laughs> <laughs> they may make 20 or 30 at a time. Yeah. Anyhow. Okay. Yeah, no, I think that's the case. So, uh, I, you know, I'm a deviled egg fan, right? Not a connoisseur, but I've, I'll have them, right? And there's not much I don't eat, so I think that's a good one. Now, what makes a bad deviled egg? Great question, right? Have I, you I'm had one? Sure, don't think I have, yeah. I mean, uh, you kind of know what you're getting if you order them. If, you, if you're surprised about it or haven't ordered them, then uh, maybe you're like, okay, what's the stuff in the middle? But then there's a process, right? It's, 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 it gets how you make it, right? It's, it's kind of the way it goes. Twice yeah. baked potatoes with eggs. That's, that's, <laughs> I mean, I got no argument. I know it was kind of like broccoli. Some other things, onions. I didn't start eating until later in life. Okay. <laughs> you know, probably should have had more as a child. But um, anyhow, all right, pick a number, 1 through 11. Okay, I'm going to go with 7. Seven's been popular. Oh, interesting. Okay. It's interesting, but this is a good one. At what point did you know, doesn't have to be age-wise, but like that aha moment that you wanted to be a golf course superintendent? Oh, okay, great question, great question. So I'm going to think about this one a little bit. So in my early career, um, I went to, uh, when I first started college, it's kind of funny, I was in nursing when I first started college. That was my original career. So I uh, went through nursing for a little bit, and at the time I was going to college, I was also working at a golf course locally. And, uh, you know, I, I loved the days that I was working on the golf courses as young. I'm just, just, you know, worked on the golf course when I was in high school and got out, went to my first part of college. And then I started to realize, you know what, man, I really love working. And then, gosh, I hate going to school. <laughs> it was like, man, like, oh, I got to go to, you know, I got to go to class. And I, but, I, you know, I stuck with it for a little bit. And then I realized that, you know, caring for, for plants was a little easier than caring for people. Yes. Um, you know, but they are very similar, you know, with diseases and stress and all kinds of stuff that, that we deal with. Um, but then as I, I continued down the road, uh, you know, I was at the golf course one day and a local vendor had came in and was talking about, you know, a, f- a few different things with me. And he was like, you know, have you not? And I think I was telling a very similar story. We're like, man, I luckily I get to work today. I don't have to go to school. And he was like, well, have you not thought about maybe just doing this for a career? And it was like, ah, you know, like the aha moment. Yeah. Of, you know what? That's a great idea. No, I, I actually <laughs> have it. That's a great idea. So, uh, yeah, so at that point, I kind of looked around a little bit. And, uh, you know, that was, uh, I think that there was a couple options. You had Auburn at the time, me growing up in North Alabama. And then you had Clemson. And then you had Lake City, which was in Florida. And then you had Ori Georgetown, which is down in Myrtle Beach. And uh, I thought, man, what a great place to live would be Myrtle Beach. So, I think just a little bit after that, I packed up and left. And never look back. Um, so it was a it was a great move and a good time, and uh, fell in love with Carolinas and South Carolina. Still, all my family still in Alabama, uh, and still go to see them when I can. But yeah, just never look back. 
So y'all are more in the Sacramento area of of Alabama, not LA. <laughs> Lower no, Alabama. Not, you know, we're in the uh, northeastern corner was where I grew up in Fort Payne, which was kind of like, you know, just a few minutes to Georgia, a few minutes to Tennessee, right in that corner. It's like the upstate. The upstate of, of South Alabama. Carolina. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're yeah. a couple minutes to Georgia, a couple minutes to Tennessee. So if you look at it, if you're looking at the at the map and you put a little dot and and where we're at right now, we're kind of in the upstate or Clemson area and you drew a line straight across the top of Georgia. Georgia and Alabama. That's where I grew up. Is that about two hours north of Boaz? Uh, yeah, you know, it's not very far from Boaz. Yeah, about an hour probably, to be honest. You know, the Fort Payne's claim for fame is that's where the group Alabama's from. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, you know, the group, and I went to school as I was in high school with uh, Randy and, and Teddy and uh, Jeff. They all had daughters that were my age. So okay. we, then they went to public school together. And it was kind of nice as we were growing up in elementary school. We would Every time we would go up, we'd get a new stadium and new new computer classes. Wow, <laughs> it was like we had awesome. the, we had the best of everything that's in our class. Awesome. Uh, so and you know grew up having the June Jam uh, there, which was probably back in the eighties. You know it was a concert they'd have. Hey, there. you see that mountain over there? Come <laughs> <laughs> that mountain yeah, one day. Yeah, that's right. And you know in the uh, that's a Christmas in Dixie at the very end of the song. They said from Fort Payne, Alabama. Merry Christmas tonight. So. That's Fort Payne's claim to fame, I should okay. say, or one of the few claims to fame, other than, you know, me being from there. Well, after a year <laughs> in Prattville, um, for myself, I do remember um, having to make the uh, the pilgrimage to Boaz, and this was in the early 90s. Yeah. So, I mean, outlet malls to a military kid were new, much less six city blocks worth of them. I was just, that's the outlets. That's right. Yeah, I'm yeah, that. That's, that's all I That's why I bring that up. <laughs> I mean, I, I have limited... Uh, Alabama knowledge, but okay. Yeah, so that's it. That's uh, that's where it clicked. And at that point, I you know went to school, went to Ori Georgetown, graduated, came to the Upstate, and man, just dove right in. And you know, I stayed. You know, it's kind of funny. I worked at the Legends uh, with um, uh, when I was there for the whole time I was in school. And I think uh, David Sapp was at the okay. Uh, worked for David Sapp there and Rodney Mead, and uh, and then Dave McGee was there. I think yeah. we had a lot of the guys that was were now selling for Helena. Who was it? Was yep. So those were the guys that were um, the superintendents at the time when I was working there, and then came to the Upstate and you know worked at the same place for over twenty years. So you know most people that's kind of rare, I think, to stay oh, there yeah. for a long time. And, Very. Um, but it was, you know, as long I, I continued to feel a challenge every day, um, and then I think then once the renovation kind of happened the second time, um, and you they know, didn't add the extra eighteen holes like had been <laughs> promised you for twenty. Well, years. you know, and things, you know, I went from uh, when I started there, I was like the youngest guy there. Like you know, I look oh, around, yeah. and here I am, you know, twenty two. Um, working with everybody. And then as I looked around a couple of years ago, I was the oldest guy there. And things change, right? Things change, and it was time for me to make a change, and it was clear on both ends. So, um, But you know what? Man, the best thing happened, coming on with Precision. Oh, yeah. You look have, happy, man. Been better. Yeah, been it's fantastic. Happy since we've seen you the whole time. The cool thing is about having an office in a local, you know, we get to see folks like Chris more often than, than others. And so, all right, I'm going to hit you. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, and I just think that, you know, I think that as a superintendent, we tend to sometimes, I, well, I was guilty of this, is I would kind of have my blinders on. So for two decades, you know, I focused on, you know, the golf course I was at. Um, and it was all I seen every day, every part of my life, you know, everything went on there. And then it was like when I left, it's like I took the blinders off and I'm like, holy smokes, like I look around and, you know, you start learning about the industry and everything else going on and you 
learn about the country and the nation and the turf, what's going and your on. Girls, what they eat for breakfast man, and how you, you have know, to now, prepare it. I know, and what right? Time they want to leave for school. school. Yeah. Oh man, it's fantastic. Anyway, I don't and they're know. not mad about that. No, no, they're good with it. They're good with it. It's funny. And Some people say that screws up our routine when Dad comes back <laughs> into the world in the morning. So it's good to hear that's not the case. Yeah. Well, Julie and I both kind of, you know, uh, we'll work from home some days when we're not on when I'm not on the road, and uh, it's funny we kind of work around each other in there with you know who eats lunch at what time and what we're doing and who's in the, you know, who's in the kitchen and you know, kind of got to make room for people, you know, when you're used to being there by yourself, it's like, Hey, what do you should come over and look at? What are you doing here? You know, like, you're going <laughs> to talk on the great. phone. Can you go outside and talk on the phone? <laughs> oh my God. You do realize I've had this to myself for the last 20 years. That's Chris. right. Yeah. And she looks at me like, what's this noise in here? You can't be play. You can't be playing Spotify playlist at, at lunch, right? You got it. What else are you supposed to be doing? I'm like, I'm working. When we built the house, we didn't put two offices in. That's a, you know, that's exactly right. Yeah. So. All right, well, I'm hitting you with this number five simply because you might be old enough to give better answers than I've heard so far. Oh, good. Okay, I like it. What's the oldest chemistry of fungicide you've ever used? Oh, man, the oldest chemistry of fungicide. So for me to think about fungicides, I got to think about some of the older ones are being some of the metals, right? Your fours, your mancozebs. Um, Dacanil's been around forever. So, I, I, man, I wouldn't know some older ones than that. Um, so, I don't know. Maybe I didn't answer the question very well. I'm sure there's now, some Which ones you've used? The Wh- oldest, oldest chemistry of fungicide you've ever used. So, well, you might have used some of I those because I, they were in the barn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, so, I used those for sure. Um okay. Um, so I guess I would have to say any of those, right? Any of your, um, so metals, this is metals. what I'm learning because somebody correct. else used the word mercury and I no, just had a no, real God. trouble with visual on like, dude, how do you even put that out? We, we spent five minutes back and forth about you just eyedropper it. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah. No, you can't never, dilute the stuff. Yeah. I never used any mercury products. That's for sure. Uh, I, but you hear about them, right? You hear about, uh, Lindane and some of these older products that were insecticides for different things. And I think that was funny. One thing about the reserve is I think years ago it was a timber area and it was timbered by Duke. And I think for pine beetles, maybe they had used a, an uh, uh, insecticide called Lindane, which I don't know a big history about, but I know that it's, uh, no longer available and it's you know detrimental to water and things like that so testing around you could find sources of it so uh, that was kind of a big deal then but again you know those products and you know the industry uh, we do such a good job of really protecting folks with chemicals and chemistry and controls and I think that's one thing that I kind of focus on when I'm talking to superintendents now is making sure that they're really you know because as a superintendent I, I was just as guilty myself of you, you have all this knowledge and you're doing all these things every day, but you're not always really good about communicating what you do every day, especially to outside sure. people. Yep. Um, and, you know, we, we take, we do so much training and we get these pesticide licenses, and we're always in continuing education classes and we're so careful about what we do. And we do that just out of instinct or naturally. And we're not always communicating that to others. And, you know, um, so as a superintendent, you know, you're always being very cautious and I think manufacturers do a good job of, you know, regulating products and continuing to make sure they're safe, but, uh, safe applications and buffer zones and calibrating equipment or things we comes natural to us. And I think we need to be a little bit more, you know, a little better communicating that to others, people that aren't in the industry or don't understand that, or maybe think that, oh, we're just out there doing spraying pesticides randomly or Correct. things like that. And it's really so far from the truth 
um, uh, because we are focused on what we do and we are trained on what we do and we're, you know, professionals in our industry. And that's one thing I try to communicate is, hey, when you're out in the field and whether it's talking to your boss or the, some golfers out there, you know, be, be, you know, let them know that who you are and your education and you're trained and you're a professional, you know. And yeah. uh, so I think that's real important to kind of get out there. And I kind of emphasize that a lot because one of the one of my talks is total spray drop management where it's basically filling the spray tank up and taking, thinking about the chemistry in the tank, how, from it, how it gets from the tank all the way through the nozzles and out the nozzle to the target, whether that's a weed or an insect or a disease. Uh, and then tracing that water and that chemistry through there and ensuring you have adjuvants and surfactants in there that help get the best result for what you're trying to go for. So, you know, we, there's a lot of work we do that goes into that. There's a lot of training we do, and a lot of it kind of comes natural. Um, so we just need to kind of be, you know, almost pat ourselves on the back sometimes for doing that because we're always in continuing education classes. And sure. the Carolinas does a great job of offering tons of those. Um, but that so, doesn't mean you get a certificate to go hang on the wall back at the office for a member to go by and read your 30 certificates to understand. Yeah, it doesn't. Uh, but, you know, luckily. But you guys could stop being so damn humble at some point too, right? <laughs> And it's okay to tell people that you got a degree. And it's yeah. okay to tell people that you are protecting yourselves and your people in the environment. And you're professional. And I think that, you know, one of the great things that I was most uh, proud about, about the being at the reserve for the time I was, you know, I got my certification from the GCSA in 2011. Uh, obviously been there over 20 years. But one of the things that I felt just the most rewarded for um, was doing the Audubon certification. Uh, and it was a lot of work, right? And you're going through the process of, of looking at the wildlife and keeping up with spray records and creating buffer zones. Um, but just that entire process, which, you know, the Audubon Society digs pretty deep into that. Oh, you yeah. know, they're really looking for what you're doing and how you do it and what your impact is. And, um, you know, and to get that certification, I think we were like 900. Um, you know, there's not that many courses that are out there, even in the country, that are Audubon certified. Yeah. So to get that, you know, it was... And then I think I went and talked to the general manager or somebody about it after I'd gotten it. And they were like, okay, well, how much did that cost? Right. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. Who cares? Yeah. Who cares? Right. Yeah. You don't understand what I'm yeah, telling the marketability you. marketability of that. Uh, and what it is. I mean, we're just. You'll we sell just, some memberships just because of that with some of your market. Yeah. We just joined an elite society uh, in the country of Audubon certification. Um, and it was so proud for me, right? I felt really accomplished for that. And again, it was a lot of stuff that we were already doing, but Correct. it was just documenting, reaffirming, it, right? it. reaffirming it, right? And putting it from taking it from what we do every day and putting it on a piece of paper and documenting how we spray and you know what we do when we're around the lake and how we don't spray when the wind's blowing above ten miles an hour and how we add drift management adjuvants to our products and how we control water. Right? Hey, are you good at hand spraying like with a backpack pair? sprayer primo <laughs> you know what uh I, i've done it some but i'm i'm no expert at the backpack spray that's you for think sure. you could maybe swing by and offer some continuing <laughs> education for uh, a non-superintendent that might so. live in the same town yeah, as you that man, could, i think so i think that's funny you know good for you for spraying primo man you on your lawn I, look, I hear you i'm tired of mowing I, I'm, I I'm over it you. and i will tell you that um like so I've had some striping issues with some fertilizer <laughs> applications. I won't lie. Uh, I don't still don't know how to calibrate one, but I understand when it's not calibrated and yeah. what it looks like. Um, and I like to stripe it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. But I don't like to mow it three times a week. And so I, I started last fall, and, man, it looked good for a couple days. <laughs> a couple days later, it's like, 
why is it growing in the middle of them stripes? Oh, you know what? And I think I did a little heavy overlap yeah. and a little light here, and so I just let it run its course, and I said, I'm going to get better in the spring. Well, if you're spraying with a backpack sprayer, it's probably going to be really difficult. And the wind was blowing a little and bit. That's what brought it up when you said that. I was like, I think I was blowing more than 10 that day. I was just trying to get it done. Well, I think that, you know, uh, it's really. If it really, gets on your shoes, is the wind blowing too uh, much? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, you know, I'm sure you're doing fine. But I think that, you know, you may just have to invest in some equipment that you can apply evenly. Because it is difficult, right? If you're spraying somewhere you can't drive to with a backpack sprayer, totally get it. But if you're going to do your yard. It's it's a tough application. I'll give you that's that's a y'all got any demo equipment you want to bring? I'm just kidding. All right, all right. We're gonna hit you with another one. We're running late, but this is so good. I ain't stopping it. Are you still playing golf? I do play golf, you know, uh, and I I feel like I'm getting these rabbit holes, but I'm starting to get back into golf. Uh, I love golf. I love being out there. The last I should say decade of my job, golf was work. Right, I played with the golf committee and I played with the members. Oh, good, and you I was did, playing. and it was like, but you, you know, didn't like doing it. <laughs> no, it like took the fun. It was like because they oh, were going to tell you something wrong and you, you know, were going to be miserable. So it was funny. I would play golf and I would have one side of the scorecard was my score, the other side of the scorecard was my notes, notes on the golf course. <laughs> so I was like, okay, wait a minute, you know. But I love golf. I, I don't play as often as uh i should um i've always played golf but um but i do play. so yes i play golf i'm getting back into it now i should say all right well what's the oldest club in your bag ah uh, you know that's a great question the oldest club in my bag um well it'd have to be my putter because just a few years ago i just got a new set like one of the things i did before Good i left you. the golf course i said you know what i'm going to take advantage of being here and i pretty soon pretty soon or pretty sure that i'm about to be done so let me order a set of golf clubs from the pro shop for cost 30 percent or whatever yeah 10 percent cost so whatever I, they I call took it advantage of a couple things on my way out yeah. and new set of golf clubs is one of them so good for uh, you yeah it was good yeah. so that's an easy one butter that's an easy one yeah all right what's the wildest thing you ever found on a golf course Oh, uh, you know what? A lot of when you're doing construction on a golf course, you find all kinds of stuff. Um, and one thing that I don't know that we found, um, we knew where they were, but we started discovering all these old graveyards. Oh, I knew you were going to say like, that. I was, I was just cringed. I was like, don't tell me you're going to find like, old Indian burial grounds. It's like, you know, and it wasn't that we uh, disturbed any of them because we didn't, but you, um, you know, there's not like they're well marked either, right? So you Correct. find them like you're out in the area. You're like, already oh, underground when you find some of them. I'm yeah, well, you know, there's this old graveyard here, and it's this old family cemetery, and it's got some rocks that are carved on it. So you kind of work your way around that, especially in the area where we were in the uh, along the lake up there. So um, you know, but graveyard, I, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, <laughs> you know, might win. Like, yeah, like was that poltergeist, right? I think, it, but luckily, I don't. You know, we didn't disturb any of them, and we marked them off. But it was just, you know, you're not always expecting that, right? You're not always. I was thinking, expecting undergarments, a walker. Yeah, right. I got graveyards. So I know, yeah. yeah, you know, it's kind of funny, or some, you know, some some pol- some pottery or something from. A could long you ever time read ago. any of the stones? Like, did, could you ever figure out yeah, like timeline? Uh, a lot of late seventeen hundred, eighteen hundred stuff. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, and they were on that lake before and, we fought yeah, a civil oh, war. Oh yeah, yep, yep, right there. So and it's kind of funny, and you know, a lot of that is. Um, you know, Kiwis actually is a Cherokee word. I landed the mulberry, I think. So, okay. Um, so that's where a lot of the, you know, we when we redid the um, one of the putting course up there during like part of the renovation, I think we called it the mulberry, just out of that. 
uh, nostalgia that comes along. But with that's that. a that's a uh, a man made lake, right? It is a man made lake. Yeah. So I mean, well, it's Kiwi River, so it was you know there it was, was dammed. It was dammed, correct? To create yeah. the lock system, correct. starting with yeah. Joe Cassie to mm-hmm. take us through the Savannah River. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. So you're like at the top of the food chain. Yeah. Yep. Close. Yeah. So Joe the, Cassie, mm-hmm. the clear one. Yep. Then Kiwi, mm-hmm. then Hartwell, right? That's right. So I guess my point to that is. Those were big hillsides where those cemeteries would have been then, theoretically. It, yeah, right. Because you had to have been on... You're on t- kind of on the top of the A couple hundred mountain. feet already. Correct, yeah. Above whatever the sea level plane I'm trying to figure out for that lake, but you know what I mean. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I think... I'm not sure what it was originally. I know the 804 is the is the full pool line for the lake now. So, oh, shit, I mean, that's 900,000 feet up. Yeah, well, nine, yeah, yeah, 1,000 feet up. That's right. From what... When they were there, theoretically... Correct. Yeah. The river bottom. I, anyways, not getting. Yeah. No. How I get deep it. The river yeah, was, right, but that's yeah. just. It's weird because you think, did they flood up with the lake? But I guess not because the lake would have had to have. And you now you got to wonder: Did they stop the lake because of certain graveyards? Like, is this the limit? <laughs> uh, like, how many of those did they yeah, flood? I, I, how many graves are under that lake? <laughs> who knows? Okay, right? let's not ask that yeah, question. Who knows? All right, pick one more, and then we're gonna go. Okay. Because we uh, got to still do a whole episode with you, and we don't need to spill it all today. All right. How about three? Oh, I think that was a good one. Your best career advice. Ooh, best career advice, right? I think this is uh, – that's a great question. Um, but I think that, you know, you got to take the good with the bad. Um, I think this too shall pass. I think that's probably my – you know, the more you learn about what you're doing and, and, and been in the industry a long time, you know, there's going to be great days and there's going to be tough days, I think. Um, and I think that that's not just – the industry that's almost life too. I think that, um, you know, and, and again, I keep referring to this too shall pass, right? I think you think about, uh, what can make a, um, what makes a happy person sad and what can make a sad person happy. Well, I guess the fact knowing that this too shall pass. Yeah. So I think that, that, you know, if you're in a tough spot or, you know, whether it's on a golf course and it's a misapplication or you're having a, you know, a bad day, um, I think just know that it shall pass, right? You know, keep your head up and keep moving forward and know this too shall pass. And then just know on those great days where everything falls into place and you're like, I'm the king of the world and everything's great. Just also know this too shall pass. I think that's a pretty solid advice to run us out with. So um, with that, I just want to say thank you again for making time to come on. I look forward to when we can sit down together because it could be a two-episode special once we get going. Because <laughs> I've tried to keep it quiet today just to let you run. Oh, man. But if we start going together, who knows? So, um, Mr. Vincent, thanks again, and um, thank you and your wife both for being a big part of this team. Yeah, thanks for all you do. And you guys do a great job. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Take care. Thank you all for listening to another episode of Pullin' Weeds, a podcast of the Carolinas Golf Course Superintendents Association. Be on the lookout for the next episode of Pullin' Weeds, coming out soon. For more information on the Carolinas GCSA, please visit our website at www.carolinasgcsa.org or call our office at 864-843-1150.